0: Light a
1: campfire
0: and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats.
1: Hello and welcome to Leave Our World A Better Place. My name is Kasha, and today I'm chatting to Murray Weekly, regional executive chef for NB Beyond Botswana. Murray trained at the Institute of Culinary Arts in Stellenbosch, South Africa, where he developed the ability to combine classical French techniques with local food cultures creating playful twists on traditional dishes and ingredients. He believes that every meal should be a celebration of sustainable, locally inspired, wholesome food. Murray will be telling us about NBeyond's food philosophy, including an increasing move towards lighter plant-based menus. He will also describe how NBeyond lodges source their food supplies and cater for special dietary requests, such as a vegan or vegetarian diet. Murray, thank you so much for coming to chat to us. Cheers. Yeah, thanks. We all know that at and beyond we absolutely love feeding people and food is a really big focus, but I don't think that many of our guests know that there's actually quite a well-defined philosophy behind the kind of cooking that we do. Could you describe some of the thinking behind the kind of food that's served at and beyond lodges in general and the lodges in Botswana where you are based in particular? Yeah,
0: for sure. Here yeah, with and beyond, the uh, the food ethos that we, we try and portray is, you know, our, our food is a celebration of regionally inspired, sustainable, wholesome food. That's the ethos that throughout our lodges we, we always try and sort of aim for. Obviously, each lodge has its own particular identity when it comes to food. Uh, but but the whole idea behind the food here in Botswana is that every meal, you know, whether it's a set meal, a bush experience, uh, snacks on game drive, you know, or, or even just your, your canapes at the bar, Every meal should be an experience. It, it, it should be that wow moment. There's been a huge shift in in our thinking when it comes to food. Before, mm-hmm. food was pretty much the standard meat, starch, three veg, and sauce, which worked for a time But to be honest, I feel very, very outdated. So we have a huge shift towards sort of lighter, fresher, with the typical and beyond over-the-top approach, if you can say it like that. Mm-hmm. On safari, food really does play a big role, as can be seen by the amount of opportunities to to eat in your average day at and beyond. And I think at times that this can get a little too much. So, you know, hence the need to to box clever in our menu planning. We try and avoid sort of the the heavy meal after meal after meal. Like I said, uh, there's been a huge shift in the way we we, we look at it here in Botswana.
1: Mm, absolutely. So it is something. It's a food philosophy that's kind of constantly evolving and changing and keeping up with trends and with what's going on around the world.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I'd say so. Um, that has been our main focus: is how can we keep up with with the international trends, but without losing that that safari feel to it. So so it's a bit of a balance that that we've had to had to walk there.
1: You mentioned that each of the lodges has got their own sort of particular. Character and and food identity, can you talk a little bit about those and um, describe those those identities and um, how they were determined?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. of course. So, I mean, obviously, obviously, throughout the the, the lodges here in Botswana, we, we like to keep the same standard, um, the the golden thread, as we call it. But obviously, each lodge itself, from the decor to to the style of the lodge, everything like that, is very different. Hence, the need for for the lodgers themselves to have their own food identity. So if you look at Mbecha Tented Camp, so our food philosophy there is, is something we call African Bistro. The whole feel of the dining area, whether it's a table in the sun on the main deck or, or whether you're being uh, served poolside, it's a very relaxed and sort of laid back affair. Casual is probably the word that would best describe it. Big trays of casual dining designed to be shared family style, just good food done well. Then at Tirana, our food identity is what we call a playful simplicity. So here we look for sort of fun twists and flavor combinations, different playful elements to, to lighten and, and to brighten the meals. This lodge is definitely the place to eat if you're looking for sort of fresh, light meals. If you have ever sat on the deck here at Tirana, it definitely has that sort of Sunday afternoon feeling to it. it. It's not one of the places you come just to eat. You, you you come here to linger. You sit in the sun, look look out over the water, you, you just relax. It's, it's one of those places that screams for a glass of sort of crisp white wine. So it's a lot more fun. Then Sandibe, our food identity here is uh, earthy, refined, and deconstructed. So the, uh, the chefs at Sandibe really um, get put through their paces here. It is a fantastic team we have, and they truly deliver a dining experience. of so here we're looking at sort of a more elevated style of food. You know, you look at... So, for example, uh, four different options of eggs, Benedict's on offer at at breakfast, elegant lunches, lighter, more refined high teas. And then dinner really is just just an experience. Um, You know, I I would say without sort of bragging, it was really on par with some of the top restaurants around, but, you know, yet still echoing our our, our surroundings.
1: Mm. It's kind of true to the setting and it's also true to the character of the lodge itself at, at each place.
0: Exactly. As I say, even though the food is an experience and your dining should be an experience, I really feel it it, it shouldn't be at the forefront. It should be something that just seamlessly happens. And, you know, you you do get those wow moments, but you're not overwhelmed by it.
1: Absolutely. Makes sense. As regional executive chef for Botswana, I know that you work a lot with the food identity, with the menu, with the lodges. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of functions that you fulfill at the lodges in terms of setting menus, testing, training the lodge chefs and the kitchen teams, just in general, your role?
0: So, yeah, obviously, I, I do quite a bit of traveling. I sort of bounce between the lodges, setting menus, sort of coming up with with concepts that that we need to implement. Obviously, now with uh, with COVID going, all, all the new protocols that the kitchen has to be running. So, so it's basically that sort of stuff that I, that I do on my day-to-day. Yet I still very much work on the line with the chefs. That's why I became a chef in the beginning. I've, I've tried to stick to that sort of my main focus is actually spending time with the chefs in the kitchen. You know, obviously training happens on a, on a day to day basis. Um, for me, working working in a foreign country, being being South African myself, I really do feel the need to give back, and this is done through the training and the upskilling of of the chefs that I work with. Training is probably one of the biggest parts of my position at the moment. You know, obviously, there's a lot of mm-hmm. formal training that happens, like I said, with new menus and concepts being introduced. Uh, but it really is so much more than that. Literally, it's day to day whilst working online, uh, and this this really is evident with the chefs that we have at the moment. Um, they really have over the last I've been here sort of four years. No, over the last four years, the chefs have grown leaps and bounds. To talk a little bit about the training. Over the past year, when, when the lodges were closed now, we ran a training program where every single chef in beyond Botswana came to Sandibe, and we did a pretty intensive six-week training course. So I got four or five chefs in at a time, and, and we just, just rotated through. Six weeks, each of them were there. We focused on on hard skills, but I really tried to make the course a little bit deeper, not just how to make X or Y, but but why are we doing it? How does food react to certain things? Uh, like I said, try to try to get a deeper and, and get the chefs to to have a deeper understanding of of why they're doing things and and how food works at at that sort of level more than just this is a recipe. Can you execute it? We also have the star in training program which we run, whereby we take uh, candidates from from the communities around the concessions um, and we get them into our lodges to to do an internship. And the goal here is to give candidates some some job experience as, as, and as well as to to expose them to the industry. Out of the the eight candidates we've had in the kitchen. Six of them have actually found permanent employment with Anbion. And I, and I think we're all extremely proud of that. Yeah.
1: And just in terms of the chefs that you do work with, they're local Botswana chefs. What kind of backgrounds do they come from? Do they have a lot of formal training or is it something that they've picked up on the job mainly?
0: All my chefs are local Botswana, but very few of them have extensive formal training. I, I think um, most of them have done sort of a, a six-month tertiary course, certificate-level course, if you'll call it that, but very little of them have have actual formal training or, or things like that so it has been on the job training
1: all right getting back to the topic of of you know the food itself um you know you mentioned earlier <laughs> that you always try to keep up with trends and try to look at sustainable options and and lighter options as well and that's something that we've seen increasingly come across as a global trend is the whole idea of meat-free cooking Obviously, people are thinking both of the health benefits and sustainability and the environmental impact of the meat industry. So, you know, and that kind of plays, I think, into two topics that are kind of relevant in your world. First of all, it's um, handling dietary requirements such as vegetarian or vegan guests and also in, just in general implementing the trend. Maybe just to start off with special requirements and dietary requirements that people have, I think there is still a perception, as you said, safari was very much sort of associated with that heavy, very sort of meat-heavy, meat-inspired cooking. Have you been seeing more requests for vegan or vegetarian diets uh, coming through? And how do you cater for them?
0: So we definitely have seen an increase in in vegan, vegetarian, you know, whether it be wheat-free, whether it be dairy-free. Just as dietary requirements in general, we really have seen a big increase in it. And, you know, how we go about it, all our menus, we always have those options available. And and how I've designed the menus is that when we do have, mm-hmm. say, a, a vegan coming into camp, we always have a few different options for them on the menu. So what we'll do is I would have alternatives. So, so I'd set, set out a menu as, as it is for just your normal, whether it be a red meat or white meat or, or your normal vegetarian dish. But I, I've set up alternatives that if we do have a vegan in camp, those dishes can be altered and tweaked in such a way that then a vegan guest would have all three options. It's more than just taking off the meat. So we take off the meat and replace it with something else, and then we would adjust the sides that go with it to to complement the, the main element on that plate. But yeah, dietary requirements and preferences, and, and particularly allergies, um, are really, really a, a big focus for us at the Lodge, you know we like to offer the guests a, a full dining experience, no no matter what their particular restrictions are. Mm-hmm. Like I say, we, we've designed the menus in such a way that it, it works no matter what restrictions you have. But like you said, with, with the assumption of sort of meat-heavy dishes, I think I think to date, most safari lodges you visit, mm-hmm. the assumption of heavy meat-based cuisine is still pretty accurate. And I don't really understand why. With the world of food being an ever-changing thing, I, I don't understand why some lodges are still stuck in the old style. Um, at our and beyond lodges here in Botswana, uh, with the move to to lighten and brighten our mm-hmm. food, we've moved really away from this, and it really is uh, re- reducing the amount of meat being served without leaving you know the most diehard carnivores wanting. The vast majority of our guests are, are coming from countries that are at the forefront of of this food movement. Um, so why why would we choose to stay in the past? We really have stepped up our offering and, and kept up with the current trends and and just generally the need to mm-hmm. to produce a more more sustainable cuisine. What I have found quite quite interesting is although we have gotten a lot more sort of vegetarians, vegans coming through i've noticed a huge huge increase in in the amount of sort of your meat-eating guests if you can call it that um that are are opting to to go vegetarian or or vegan meals obviously not not for the entire stay but maybe once a day that they would have a a vegetarian dish Mm -hmm. there's been a big big increase in that so obviously we've had to adjust and and box clever when it comes to that
1: Mm, absolutely and how do you go about creating a meal like that you know coming up with a plant-based dish or a plant-based menu that would also appeal to meat eaters what are some of the changes that you make and um how do you start thinking about it
0: i think the trick when it comes to this is to not make it sound like a vegetarian dish like you, you almost want to and i'm talking about particularly getting getting your your your, your meat eaters um interested is I found comfort food. Sort of think your white bean herb paella or Cape Malay style vegetable curries, your your lentil babuertis, your mushroom risottos, things like that. So I found introducing those, I'm getting a lot more meat eaters interested in 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 vegetarian food.
1: And it really sounds like a complete meal in itself. It's not like they're kind of missing that meat option out of it.
0: No, not at all. Um, we've designed it where like we're putting in enough enough umami flavour into the food that it actually satiates the meat craving that that, that most, most people are getting.
1: Well, obviously, there are a couple of elements that you have to think about in terms of coming up with those plant-based alternatives, that umami flavor is something that you spoke about, but it's also, you know, texture and, of course, nutritional value, which is, I'm sure, something that you look at as well. How do you balance that? And, you know, what are some of the alternatives that you use? You know, instead of meat, eggs or dairy, how do you introduce alternatives to that that Cater for all of those elements.
0: I think our main focus when 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 coming up with with dishes that uh, that work like that is is a still a balanced diet. Is a still a balanced balanced meal. We have to try and find ways to to introduce introduce enough protein into the meal. Um, still still having having the right amount of fats in the meal. One thing I found you know, that helps hugely with this is, is the introduction of, of different grains and different nuts, seeds, um, pulses, things like like aquafaba. Trying to get pectin out of apples. Trying to find alternatives that are naturally occurring in food. I've seen so many of these meat substitutions and really I I don't think, I don't think that's the way, I think there's a place for it. I just don't think that's the way that I want the food to go. I think food naturally has everything that we need. I don't think we need to disguise it to be something else.
1: I think I I get the concept that you're going for. And I see that people are coming up with things like, you know, meat-free chicken or meat-free fish that's made up of a whole bunch of other elements but I think what you're trying to say is work with those ingredients themselves and not try and masquerade and make them pretend to be something that they're not.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Some of the ingredients in sort of plant-based cooking are quite specific. And I know that in Botswana, you're working with very, very remote lodges. <laughs> what are the challenges of actually getting hold of those ingredients? Do you find that you struggle with that to get them into the Delta?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, um, to be honest, it, it it is incredibly difficult. Um. There are not a lot of these alternatives which which are available to us here. Obviously, we need to order a good few weeks in advance. We try and always keep enough stock, what we need at the lodges. But as I said, knowing about these dietaries in advance always helps. The problem we are facing at the moment with all the current circumstances, what's going on around the world, our our suppliers are not holding a huge amount of stock. Uh, So it can always be quite difficult to get these if we, if we don't have much notice.
1: I can just imagine. Well, obviously, you know, talking about, about you know, plant-based in general, <laughs> you pro- you're doing more of it already, but if you have guests with very specific requirements, it's really crucial to know quite a bit ahead of time.
0: Yeah, it does help us. Um, it helps us with, with our planning and that. So it also just helps us train the teams up, especially if it is something that is completely from left field. So I, I know we're talking about uh, meat-free now, but I'm going to use an example about uh, celiac disease if i know guests arriving that that have celiac disease we can make sure that the kitchen is sterilized in a way that needs to be sterilized that sections of the kitchen are, are cordoned off to, to be able to cater safely for for these dietries you would be amazed at at how many times it's happened where we have found out literally on on arrival and then obviously there's a mad scramble to to get everything ready but yeah so it's obviously the the more time we have the the, the easier it is to to, to do it properly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is something that you guys do as well. You always have the chef connect with the guests. If not on arrival, then prior to meals to discuss sort of preferences, uh, meal elements, all of that. Is that right?
0: 100%. On arrival, when the managers meet you at the camp, they generally just double check any dietary requirements. I, I always encourage them to ask, them, ask the question, are there any foods you don't particularly like? Because a lot of people, they say might have a nut allergy, which we know about, but they absolutely hate tomatoes. And then very often, we only find, find this out too late. So I do encourage that talk right from the first, second guests arrive. And then I encourage my chefs to go out at the first meal and, and to introduce themselves. Having that connection with the chef, yeah. I find guests are a lot easier to, to give mm-hmm. feedback. They can let you know if, if they want anything, anything different. They can okay. let you know if they want something off, off, off menu if need be. But I find without, without that connection between the chef and the guest, some people aren't, aren't so forthcoming.
1: That human relationship is always so important. And I think that's true for just about everything that EnBeyond does. But I think food in particular, because it's such a comfort thing, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so.
1: So in terms of the ingredients that you, that you sort of look at, especially plant-based, meat-free alternatives, is there anything that you're actually able to grow yourself on site or to... To source or create like, you were, you know, for example, just now you were talking about getting picked and out of apples, you know, is there stuff that you can get other ingredients in and sort of use it to create something that you use in your meat free menus or can you grow it yourself? Or is it just too challenging being where, where you are and being so remote?
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to being able to grow it ourselves, unfortunately, we, we're actually not allowed to by law to grow anything in our lodges. With the Okavanga Delta being a World Heritage Site and being a protected area, we, we can't have any foreign plants growing. I agree with this completely. As a conservation company, the last thing we want to do is, is to be part of spreading an invasive species in, into a place like this. Yeah, so and Unfortunately, we, we, we cannot grow anything ourselves. But like I say, when it comes to vegetarian and to vegan meals, we generally try and make it all ourselves here instead of buying Absolutely. your substitutions in or your substitutes in. I really believe when it comes to food, fresh is best. If I can make a dish, whatever it may be, using fresh ingredients rather than using a substitution which has been processed, I think that is definitely the way to go.
1: Now, it must get really, really challenging for the chefs or or for you as well, just to plan around getting ingredients, because not only do you have to think, okay, what's fresh, what's in season, what's what's happening right now, but, you know, you're also thinking about sustainability. And then when it comes to, you know, health or plant-based foods, then you have to think about, is it organic? Is it genetically modified? Have pesticides been used on it? How complicated does all of this actually make ordering in your food?
0: Yeah, this is a tricky one for us. Um as mentioned earlier, it's incredibly uh, incredibly difficult to, to source food out yeah. here. We obviously try our best to, to source uh, organic and, and non-GMO, but uh, unfortunately, it's not always possible. A little example of what we've done is in Mount, so our, our biggest town, closest town to where we are. We've actually set up a few little vegetable gardens, and there we're doing sort of organic, no pesticides, things like that. We're harvesting as much as we can, but obviously, when we're running a full lodge it, it sometimes is is not enough to to cover the whole lodge. So we definitely do do try, but like I said, not not always possible.
1: Yeah. So it's about supporting local and about about keeping it as simple as possible whenever you can, though.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Now we've we've spoken a little bit about most of your chefs being local Motswana. For many people, especially guests that come to lodges like and beyond, part of the joy of travel is really immersing themselves in that that local culture and tasting local cuisines and local specialties. How have you managed to incorporate African-inspired ingredients into the lodge menus? And are there any particular African ingredients that particularly lend themselves to the, the meat-free movement?
0: Yeah. Um, first, I just, just want to quickly look at how we can get the local cuisine I- into our menus. Um, and, and this can be a little bit tricky. We really do need to find a balance here. I find that the local food in Botswana can be very, very starch-heavy which is obviously what we are trying to avoid, especially sort of at, at, at dinner times. So we've had to try and find a way to still showcase the local cuisine and culture whilst keeping up with the trends. Um, hence part of our food ethos being locally inspired. And th- and this actually play, plays right into yeah. our strengths. Um, we use our, our Westernized techniques when it comes to to designing our menus. So we use those techniques in, in our food preparation Um. But by using the the local local ingredients and, and regional dishes, so we try, try and incorporate these into our more refined menus by adding elements sort of like our traditional uh, morojo or shebo or chakalaka on on a dish, but then by executing it in in, in a more westernised way, if that if that makes sense. And we also try and serve, especially for those that do eat meat, things like uh, the local fish, the Okavango bream that we serve. Botswana beef is 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 fantastic; it really is a great product. So we, we try and incorporate the local ingredients into a more westernized approach to food
1: and do you often have guests who will come to your chefs and say listen you know we really want to try something that's absolutely you know 100 percent local and that sort of embodies the cuisine of the region
0: yeah very very often and then what we are very often then do is we actually invite invite the guests to to come and cook with us and, and then basically show them how how the um, traditional food is prepared, yeah.
1: Oh, fantastic. Okay. I just wanted to touch on to the whole concept of boma dining a little bit, that outdoor sort of barbecue, or as the South Africans would call it, braai concept. Do you think that there's an extent to which that sort of... <laughs> that idea and that concept is actually responsible for keeping a lot of safari lodge menus, very, very meat based. And how do you get around that? You know, how do you create dishes that are more plant based and that still still satisfy that kind of approach that, or that mood?
0: Yeah. So when it comes to our our Boma evenings at our lodges, once again, a a lot of work has been done around, around the concept. I think there really is just, just something special about, you know, dining under the stars, sitting around a fire. However, I feel that w- wherever you go, the boma evening is exactly the same. It, you know, it's one of those. If you've had one, you've had them all. So, so we really have tried to to reinvent the concept at Sandibe, We we offer a, a plated boma. So everything everything is still cooked on the open fire in front of the guests. Um, you know, bit of theatre behind it, still highlighting the the local cuisine. But once again, um, putting some some skill and and finesse into it. We always have two or three meat options, and then two or three vegetarian or, or, or vegan options. And then it is a slightly more refined evening, but still done in a very, very traditional way. We've always had a lot of vegan offerings at the Birmingham, but I'm now just, just taking it one step further. And an example best that Sandibe is possibly the uh, fire-roasted butternut, which is served with, say, the, your grilled pup, spicy chakalaka, smoked butter beans, and a herb and inkumazi emulsion. Sort of one one of the vegetarian dishes that we have there, just as an example. Then
1: it sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> then at Nobecha, what what we've done there, one, once again, like we mentioned earlier, about each lodge having their own their own identity. Um, Nobecha, it's the boma evening there has more of a a steakhouse feel, if I can call it that, where the guests have an option of of what they want their main element to be. So whether it be you know the, your grilled beef sirloin so, uh, or your roasted peri peri chicken or your dukkha spiced uh, cauliflower steak, which, are, which has been roasted on the coals. So that's what the guests get as, as their main option. And then to the table, a, a big platter comes with, with, with all the more traditional vegetarian and vegan sides, which, which is then served sort of family style. So it really does cater to, to, to both meat eaters and, and non-meat eaters as well. And then, then the third one being uh, clarana, this sticks to, to their theme. So the, the Boma evening here is, is done more in a, in a tapas style. So think uh, small plates or of different different sharing dishes, all, all highlighting, like I said, that that local cuisine and culture. And um, once again, vegan and vegetarian dishes here here really take the spotlight. If you are, are not vegetarian or vegan, don't think that that's all you're going to get. You do You will still get your your grilled kudu loin or your local Okavanga bream. What we try and do is we try and balance it out so that no matter what your your restrictions or your, or your dietary preferences are, you you still have that that wow moment, that experience that we were talking about.
1: Mm. So basically, it's about offering plenty of options and making sure that all of them are just as amazing as possible.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, you mentioned that food is also constantly evolving and changing. How often do you redesign menus in Botswana to keep up with the most, the most current trends and with what's happening around the world?
0: I like to change the menus sort of every, every three or four months. Well, I like to change it with the seasons. Obviously there there are some dishes which we stay on the menu for for longer than that and there are some dishes which uh, which get changed or, or or tweaked before that um mm-hmm. the menus we run are, are really they are ever changing they're, they're always evolving we're always looking to improve on what we are serving on a day- to day basis but I also like to to change things up just to keep the chefs interested and and, and to keep the, the the learning process alive now each time we introduce a, a new menu I like to sort of up the skill level required to execute the dish slightly basically just trying to, to, to push the chefs to keep growing, you know, introducing new yeah. new techniques, things like that.
1: Now, just to end off with, do you have a, a personal favorite dish that you can talk about, or maybe even just a favorite dining experience overall?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so one thing that we had done, so before I actually mention the dish, just to give you a bit of background, one thing that we actually have introduced here at, uh, at, at our lodges in Botswana is uh, beforehand, we always, always only had three options for dinner. We always did a a red meat, a white meat, and a vegetarian. What we actually have done now is is we've introduced a a vegetable focused or a veg forward dish. Which this is basically the main elements of the dish are are are, are vegetarian, uh, vegetarian or, or or vegan, but it then does have a small meat element on it, whether it be you know sort of a a, a beef jus sauce or you know vegetables in, in a duck broth or, or something like that, just so that it. There is some sort of a balance that if you are not wanting to eat fully vegetarian, there is something that you, you can you can have a dish that has a lot less, a lot less protein or a lot less less, less meat on it. And I think one of my favourite dishes at the moment has actually come from from that menu. And that would yes. be our our roasted brussels sprouts, um, which are served with a cauliflower mm-hmm. mousse, dukkha, and then a, a red wine sauce. That's it's one of those dishes that you, you actually can't tell that there's no meat on it or that there's very little meat on it apart from the sauce. That, that's probably definitely one of my highlights at the moment.
1: Personally, that's all of my favorites in one dish, so it sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Murray, great. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's been a really fascinating glimpse sort of behind the scenes into the, the world of chefs in the Ocluvango Delta and generally at Envyon. So thank you so much.
0: Well, cheers. Thank you for having me.
1: Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at nbeyond.com